everyone. Welcome back to another episode of On the Pitch presented by Deep Dive Sports. As always, I'm your host, Dom, and I'm joined by Zach and Chase. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hey, so it's been quite a wild ride the last couple of weeks, um, especially the last two weeks with the Champions League draw and some crazy World Cup qualifiers. Then we also got a La Liga chase, potentially, and the race for the Premier League is on officially now um so get things started we'll go over some world cup qualifiers we had some pretty shocking scores today um italy if you haven't heard is officially knocked out of the world cup losing to north macedonia one nothing today um i I think today might be the greatest day in north macedonian football history knocking out (laughs) italy in the world cup qualifiers um sweden beating the czech republic one nothing Wales with a pretty shocking win over Austria 2-1, and then Portugal beating Turkey 3-1, not really surprising there. But what did what do you guys think of the qualifiers that we just saw today? And then what do you predict for the US and Mexico game later tonight? So I'm still a bit stunned as to what I should think. Honestly, for a lot of these, um, even just touching on Wales, Austria. Has Madrid really just been letting Bale rot on the bench, even though he clearly still has it? Like, right. it wasn't just like he fluked himself two goals. He genuinely played incredibly. He was a great leader. He finished his chances. He helped with the buildup. I don't understand how he gets no playing time. Um, and then obviously the biggest thing, Italy and North Macedonia. I think Italy had 30-something shots. And I don't think Timo Werner switched to be Italian, so I'm not sure how none of those went in. And then North Macedonia just proves that no matter how difficult football is at the end of the day, it's just who can score more goals. And if that's just one off of four shots in the 92nd minute, then that's it. That's all you need to do. So why do you have to bring up a Chelsea player in every podcast? He's not that bad. It's for for this reaction specifically. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, if you look at the stats of this Italy-North Macedonia game, if you don't look at the scoreline, you would think that Italy just ran away with it. 32 shots, only but only five of them were on target, 66% possession, and 565 passes compared to North Macedonia's 308 passes and 34% possession. That's yeah. Anytime I you think- get 32 shots in a game, and uh, the, the odds of you losing that game are very slim. Yeah, the only United. the only blame <laughs> that I could put towards um, Italy, specifically Mancini, would be there might have been an element of hubris because throughout the Euros, the problem was, you know, it's tricky to score goals. Even in the final, they relied on a Benucci goal off a corner to take that to pens. It's not like they were creating and putting away a lot of chances. Immobile is a good striker, has always struggled for the national team. They tried Bellotti here and there during the Euros, was not very effective. And they didn't, I mean, we, I think we brought it up before. There were talks of like, oh, maybe we bring back Balotelli. Like that's how much they were looking for who can score goals. But they never actually pulled the trigger. They never thought, okay, we don't have a striker that can get it done. Maybe we change our play style. Maybe we try a young player, someone like Zaniolo, or we just look for some out-of-the-box answer. They just kind of tried to force it with Immobile, and it just didn't work. Yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I kind of want to talk about that that bail situation just a little bit because I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys saw that free kick today, but I mean, it was just, <laughs> I mean, not only was it immaculate, but absolutely, I mean, it's just, and I think we kind of talked about, I can't remember if we talked about this on the last podcast, or it was just kind of some spangle dangle that we were doing, but I mean, Aerith Bale has just not been <laughs> playing for Real Madrid and as you said, I mean, it's not, it's not, you know, class is forever, form is temporary. But this man, whenever he touches the pitch, if he's driven, I mean, he's 100%. And, I mean, the way he played the day was just absolutely phenomenal. And I'm just – and, like, even as a – I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, obviously I'm not a Wales fan. But, I mean, watching him play, it was, like, exciting. I was, like, 
let's go. Like I was into it. And like the way he was playing, I don't know. It just, it caught me off guard. He said before the match that he was going to give 110% because of all the letdowns he's had in his previous years. And he feels like this is his last chance to prove something. And he came out today and he, he proved it. He did not let up a single inch. Um, I like what you said there, though, because yeah. even as a non-Wales, as a non-Tottenham, as a non-Real Madrid fan, anytime you watch Gareth Bale, it's just, he's cinema. He's so fun yeah. to watch when he's feeling it and when he is giving 110, always. Um, yeah, I, I think he, he definitely reminded a lot of people of just what he could do and how talented he still is. Because, you know, we, we talked about earlier, he's not really getting any playing time with Real Madrid. And the last couple of years, he's had some so many injury issues he hasn't had any playing time anyways so i think today was a nice reminder of just what he could do yeah and i i don't know i don't know i just want to see him play more that's all like i don't understand what the situation is at madrid anymore if he's because obviously zidane's gone that was a huge issue anyway but i mean if you look at just the score lines today i mean you had portugal beating turkey 3-1 you had was it new zealand beat new <laughs> calcedonia I, I butchered that, but it 7-1 scoreline. I mean, you had Kazafro beat uh, Bernica Faso 5-0. I mean, it was just a good day for international football. I mean, even as we talk, Brazil's beating Chile 3-0. Luis Diaz from Liverpool is lighting up Colombia right now with an absolute wonder strike. I don't know if you guys were watching right before we started, but I mean... He's just yeah, on he's fire. Truth, unfortunately, he is unfortunately genuinely a great talent. Um, but Portugal, yeah. um, that was a great result, obviously. Um, now that Italy's out, I just really want to see Ronaldo play one more World Cup. It would be cool if North Macedonia pulls off an underdog story, but it would be a lot cooler <laughs> for Ronaldo to get one last run. Uh, I don't think they looked incredibly convincing against a pretty disappointing Turkey side the last couple of years. Um, I mean, Turkey should have tied it up late with a pen and who knows what happens then, but I guess you can just slap that against the crossbar if you really want to. But other than that, it seemed like a pretty even back and forth game. Um, I think the renewal of Jota this past year, um, because I remember Chase, you and I were making fun of him at the Euros because he was just looking Mm -hmm. so shaky. I think the way Liverpool has used him, he feels like he's really in a groove. He looks so much better than he did even just like six months ago. So I think they go in, and I think maybe it'll be enough to go for a run in his last year. I don't think they go all the way, but I think they can challenge for a semifinal spot, and I think that would be fun to see. And, I mean, talking about it, I mean, you nailed every point with Italy. They were – I can only think of – when I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, watching the Euros, there was only a couple of performances where they were really like, okay – They've got the defense, they've got the buildup, they've got the attack, they've got everything. And then the, and then there was a couple of other games where it was just like, well, they got the defense, but they're not really doing anything. They showed that in the final, and then they showed it today where they could play defense really, really well because that's what they've always done. I mean, could kind of build it up, but then as soon as you hit that attacking third, it's just nonsense. It's all over the place. Um, I mean, I was really hoping – I mean, I wasn't really hoping because just as a fan of football, I wanted to see Ronaldo kind of have an easy path <laughs> through this because I know there's been a lot of struggles with him recently. And it's looking like it's going to be a pretty easy path for him in Portugal, um, which I'm kind of excited about just because I want I want to see that at least one last time, him giving 100%. And today he didn't put in the best performance. I think he only ended up with like a seven point in on the ratings. I, I mean, he was... He was there. He was he was involved. I know he's going to come out, especially when they get past all this with Italy being gone. I mean, there's not really. I mean, you look at the competition he's going to have to face. I mean, maybe a prime Gareth Bale, apparently, but we'll see what happens. Um, but I kind of want to talk about there's a USA-Mexico game going on tonight. Um, yep. I think USA is on their best streak they've ever been on against Mexico right now. Um and I think they're going to continue it tonight. I, I don't have any reason to believe that they would slow down. Um, I think they've been looking great the past couple of performances. I think they've, I, I don't know if I should say the last couple of performances, but here and there they look really good. And sometimes they kind of look like USA, but I think they've against Mexico, they've really been like, we need to destroy this stigma that Mexico is way better than us at football, which historically they are. Um, yeah. I, I, I feel really good about USA today. I guess we'll just have to 
I'd agree. They, they've won the last three matches against Mexico. Um, they're on a great run of form right now, currently sitting second in their qualifying group. But I don't know. I, I, they have some injuries tonight, right? I think they're out a couple key players. Um, I know that the lineups haven't been announced yet, but I don't know. It's going to be a great game. I, I think both squads are coming in pretty strong, fighting for – really their survival in the in the world cup so it's going to be really amazing to watch yeah i'm pretty confident that they'll both qualify but the great thing about that kind of a rivalry game is even if one of them had 50 points and the other had zero you still would not be able to say who's gonna win because they're gonna go at it um yeah but i i agree that this is ah it's hard to say because there were some genuinely good USA teams that made it out of difficult groups at the world cup with the likes of Donovan and Dempsey and obviously um, uh, Tim Howard and goal. But I think as far as like top tier talent, this has to be the best. I mean, Pulisic yeah. is a starter, uh, an on and off against starter, sure, but still a <laughs> starter for a team that just won the champions league. No Americans ever been that good. Dempsey was playing for Fulham. Serginho Dest is a, is I think really underrated. Uh, Weston McKinney, obviously injured right now, but when in form, looks like he has potential to be the best American in the world. So I think it's just a wealth of talent, um, mostly because it's been firmly established that the move is to go over to Europe. I mean, even thinking about young American, like real young American talent, like uh, Daryl DK from Orlando, like he preferred to move over to, I believe, championship. Yeah, he preferred to move over to the championship because he knew this is going to promote my growth a lot more than banging in 20 goals a year in the MLS. So I think that mentality shift has led to the greatest generation that is probably just going to get better and better. Yeah, by degree. And we can honestly do a whole episode about the MLS and the young talent leaving the U.S. and going, going over to Europe. But <laughs> that could be a topic for a different episode. <laughs> But moving on to the Champions League, we've had the the next quarterfinal draw, and we have a couple interesting matchups. What did you guys make of the draw, and what matchup are you most intrigued by? Yeah, I'll start us off here. Um, first of all, I just want to say I'm immaculate with my predictions. Um, I know the seasons aren't done, so you know all my season predictions aren't on point yet. They're looking a little shaky. However, my dark horse Villarreal demolished Juventus. So I'm looking like, you know, I'm way up there. I should, I should play a lot of tonight. So, but they're getting Bayern Munich. So I, I don't know. <laughs> they're going to get in this competition, but I'm one round down, uh, one round to go. Um, I think for me, the most exciting, personally, the most exciting matchup is Chelsea versus Real Madrid. And, I mean, mainly because I'm a Chelsea fan. I'm really excited for that matchup. But, I mean, just going off of, I mean, Real Madrid played an amazing game against PSG in that second half. In the first half, they were meh. <laughs> and then they came out and just absolutely put it to PSG. And that's what I thought they were going to do from the start of the game. They didn't really do it. I was like, I guess PSG is going to walk away with this, which I was kind of happy about being a Barcelona fan. But, um I mean, I'm just really, really, really intrigued about this. If I, I don't know if there was obviously, if you don't know, Barcelona beat Real Madrid 4 0 in the Classico, and we're still a long way away from the Champions League. I shouldn't say a long way, it's a couple of weeks now. I think it's two weeks, but um, if Real Madrid doesn't figure their things out, I don't know if that was just a, a game specific kind of thing where they were questioning how good is Barcelona going to be coming out, but they were shambolic in that game, but they looked like the best team in the world in the second half against PSG. So depending on what Chelsea gets and Chelsea has been kind of, kind of the same way. There's some performances where they look like they could beat anybody. And there's some performances where they're playing out one nils against Norwich. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of matchup we can get. We could get a couple of teams that are kind of questioning each other and end up with a nil nil the first leg, but I'm really excited to see what happens there. Cause if we get the best of both teams that could end up being a three, two first leg. And um, I mean, I'm just, that's, I'm scared <laughs> because I don't want to face the Real Madrid that faced the second half of PSG. But last year we put them away. Obviously last year we put away everybody. So, um, so I'm looking what's forward your, to it. What's your final aggregate score prediction? My, um, I'm final aggregate. I'm going to take probably two, one Chelsea. 
And Interesting. Exactly what my prediction is. Genuinely, before I came in, I was thinking two one Chelsea, and I agree. It's the most interesting well there's one other one but i think it is going to be the closest matchup it's the one i'm 50 50 on but the storyline i really love about it is uh in the midfield because you've got like the the new kids on the block that everyone's like oh conte and Jorginho are the best midfielders in the world and then you've got some of the greatest midfielders of all time in Cruz and modric and casemiro that are like definitely towards the end of their careers and I yeah. really want to see those midfields face off. I want to see if, particularly Modric and Kroos, can they pull out two, two more world-class performances towards the end of a season? I don't know if they can. I'm predicting they can't, but it would be really amazing to see them go head-to-head with the Chelsea midfield in their prime. I think they can do it. I think they're still good enough players where I think they can have enough in the tank for the, for this matchup. I, I think... Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to say 2-1, but I'm going to go Real Madrid. Oi! Okay. All right. Okay, we'll talk about that another time. Um, I just wanted to get, <laughs> just get in a word about, before we talk about the other matchups. Um, I mean, Modric has been phenomenal this year. Yes. It, in almost every game, except for the Barcelona game, because they were playing him at false nine for some reason, he has been phenomenal. And, I mean... For me, he's played better this year than when he won the Balloon d'Or. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just – it's it's genuinely a nightmare to think about coming up against not only Modric playing as good as he has been, but with Benzema back and the threat that he has been this year, and he's project, projected to be back for that game. I, I mean, it's really worrisome. And, I, you know, I, I could see a 3-1 Real Madrid aggregate. I could I don't I don't think it's going to be more than four goals for either team over the ag- aggregate. But, um, I mean, that Modric right now is just – he's playing for everything. He's playing for his life. He's playing for – he wants everything right now. That's how he's playing. And it's, it's a scary sight. I don't think – I don't think anybody in the Chelsea midfield can play with as much determination and heart and experience – as Modric does, as well as I think Chelsea's midfield is. And to your point um, of Benzema, I don't think that Chelsea faces that in the Prem. Because I think a lot of the top-tier teams, they don't have that big, strong, clinical finisher striker. That's kind of out of fashion towards the top of the Prem right now. The best one they would face would be Harry Kane, who's having a rough year. Um, And then other than that... Have they played Man U since Ronaldo's been there? But even there, Ronaldo has a very different play style to someone like Benzema. So I think that might catch him off guard. Um, I want to talk about – I don't know. I'm not ready to move on from Champions League. That's what you're about to no. do, so sorry. But um, I want to hear what you guys think about the Man City Atletico Madrid game. I'm sure that's what you were about to bring up. But I, yes. Yes, it, yes, it was. I mean, that is the matchup that – is either really going to make Atletico Madrid or for me, probably seal Man City as the winners of the Champions League. And that's my take. Ooh, that's a good take. So, yeah. So my take on this was it's going to be a difficult matchup, but it definitely could have been worse. I was definitely fearing drawing Bayern, Liverpool, or Real Madrid. So facing Atletico is not bad, um, could be worse. I think the teams match up well with how good defensively Atletico Madrid is and with how good at, at attack Man City has been. They've been kind of on a slump recently, but I do think that they'll find their form. I think it'll be a good test for both teams, but I, I think Man City will walk away with this one um, probably a little bit closer than most Man City fans would want. But looking at the rest of the draw, and the way that the bracket set up, I think it was a perfect setup for Man City to to take it, at least to the final. Because right now, City or Atletico will play the winner of Chelsea and Real Madrid, while you got Barcelona or not Barcelona, um, Bayern and Villarreal, and then Liverpool and Benfica. So the winner of those matchups will play each other. So the way that it's looking, I think it's going to be Liverpool and Bayern going in going up against each other in that semifinals, then Man City and probably Real Madrid, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Chelsea makes it in the semifinal. So I had Liverpool going up against Bayern in the semifinal at the same time that they're trying to push Man City for the Premier League title. I think that's going to be rough. 
I, I think that can probably do Bayern, or I think that can do Liverpool in for potentially both tournaments. Yeah, I agree with that. I think fighting for everything is going to be really tough for Liverpool and the cracks are going to start showing. It just, it's up to them to decide where they want those cracks to show essentially. But yeah, the Atletico Man City game in a vacuum, I think super fascinating because you have the Diego Simeone philosophy up against the Pep Guardiola philosophy. That's really cool to see. That's what I want to see. Uh, Both have led to success, some more than others, but on paper, it's really fun to see those two philosophies and those two play styles go at it. The one reason I think Man City has a huge advantage is because in the league, every team that's in the bottom half of the table plays against Man City with 10 men behind the ball. Let's just try and keep them from scoring. (laughs) And so they know they can have possession for 65, 70% of the game, pass along the box, be super patient, wait for that one opportunity and then strike. So I think almost inadvertently they've been preparing for Atletico all season. And that's why I do think they're going to edge them out and probably by about two goals on aggregate, but on paper in a vacuum, I love the philosophical matchup. Yeah. And I think Pep's experience with La Liga mm. also plays the Man City's advantage because he knows how La Liga operates. He knows how these teams play. And I, I think the way that this team is set up, I think Man City is versatile enough where they, they can adapt their play style to kind of counteract whatever their opponent's throwing at. Um, so I want to know, I'll, I'll do my take first. So here, here's my thinking, right? So we got Chelsea, Real Madrid, Man City, Atletico, Liverpool, Benfica, Villarreal, Bayern. I'm going to take in the final Bayern, Man City. I think That's Chelsea's exactly going to win their game. I think Chelsea's going to take take their game against Madrid. I don't think they're going to beat Man City. If Atletico pulls out a win, I'm taking Chelsea in that final. But I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, I, I And I think, personally, I think Man City pulls that out. I think that's going to be a really close game. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, last year, arguably, Pep, for the first time in his career, <laughs> as a joke, overthought things a little bit. Um, <laughs> with his tactics against Chelsea, having played them nine times in the last like six games of the season. But um, I, I want to say this is potentially one of the better draws for Man City to pull out a win. They've got some tough competition, but it's not anything that they haven't fought through before. Um, I want to hear that from you guys. And I also, I know I'm not the lead on this podcast, but I want to know what <laughs> you're, I, I want to know what your game of the last, um, or the round of 16, what the, the game of that was for you? Because we have, haven't had a podcast in a little bit, and I want to talk about that just for a split second. I agree with your final selection, um, mostly because of what we've already mentioned. Chelsea or Real Madrid, honestly, whoever moves on, I think Man City can beat them, not by a huge margin, but can definitely put both of those teams away. And then Liverpool-Bayern, I think it'll come down to Liverpool's just stretched a little too thin. Bayern's out of the cup. League is, well, I, I shouldn't say. I think Dortmund's only like four or five points behind. But the league's over, so they can just focus on the Champions League. They have the players that have the composure and the experience. They're going to get past Liverpool. And then Man City-Bayern in the final, that's, I, I almost don't want to predict a winner. But I think with how shaky Bayern's backline has been, Unless they can kick that into gear, it's going to be really tough. So I would lead Man City, but I'm not bold enough to actually predict a winner quite yet. Well, as the uh, resident Man City fan, I'll, I'll be bold enough to predict a winner. On that one. Um, I, I also have Man City and Bayern in the final. Um, I think last year, even though we lost in the final, I think just getting to the final was huge for this team because you look historically, you know, a draw against Atletico usually meant Man City were expected to win, but they choked. And we saw that time and time again. And last year, finally pushing through, getting to the semifinal, beating PSG, getting to the final and losing to Chelsea one nothing. I think showing that these players are capable of getting to the final and play well enough to really win the final. But, you know, a couple of mistakes by Pep kind of cost us the game, but I think that's huge for the mentality of this team, knowing that, hey, we are good enough to get to the final. So I think going in, I I think we're going to be favored in 
pretty much any draw that we have. And I do like how we stack up against Byron. Um, all right. I'll start on the, the next topic here. Um, I, so just to kind of throw things in, this is our first experience with European football without away goals. And I don't particularly hate it. I, I grew up with the array goal rule. Obviously we all did, but, and that was always for me, especially as a Barcelona fan, uh, the away goal rule was good and bad, <laughs> but um, I mean, it's, 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 it's been not as bad as I thought it would be. And I kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say I outright like it because I want my away goals back. I liked it how it was. I didn't really see an issue with it, but I like the fight that it puts on the second leg more than it does of anything else. Um, and for me, that really, it didn't really play an effect as much in the Champions League. I felt like it could have played a bigger effect in the PSG Madrid game and how that was played a little bit differently. But for me, I think the game, the game of the tournament so far was Atletico beating Man United 2-1. Yep. Yep. Um, I, I, I think we all took Man United to pull it together. I'm not sure if we did or not. And, I did, yeah. And pull it no. through. Um, I, that was just – I don't know if I should say that was a huge shock, um, but I really, really thought that Man United would figure out a way to put something together. They've obviously been a little shaky in the league, but they've been consistent in the Champions League, which has been – you know, some teams are just like that. Some teams are shaky in the league, and they do really well in the Champions League. And I thought that was going to be Man United this year. I thought they were going to be a force to reckon with because they're like, you know, we're fighting for that fourth spot, but if we can get really far in this competition and do some good here, you know, at least that's good for us. But, um, I mean, what are – just a performance from Atletico Madrid, good patience, good finishing and composure in front of goal. Um, I mean, that, that game could have been easily taken away from Man United a lot more than it was. Um, but what, what's your yeah. guys take well, I think you're spot on when it comes to the away goal rule. I think what we have now is a better chance of the more deserving team going through, the team that is actually a little bit better. And the sacrifice for that is you're 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 losing some of the magic moments. I mean, my club has so, so little glory. Um, but when Roma in 2018 knocked out Barca on away goals... <laughs> That's a yeah. 90th minute header to where if you play that now, it goes into extra time. Messi scores a hat trick and we go out. But just because of the away goal rule, we got to win that off a last minute header. You're losing some of those moments. Um, but I still think you're going to have those moments because you can still <laughs> score winners in, in the in the dying seconds. But there's less of an opportunity without the whole away goal thing in everyone's mind. So overall, I do like it. Personally, I love that the away goals are gone. I think I've always been of the mindset that it really shouldn't matter where you score a goal. One goal should just count as one goal no matter where you score it. Um, so I, I think it, it levels the playing field a little bit. I do think that it will res result in, you know, the more deserving team to win whatever matchup they're playing. I don't know. I, I just I just think it makes the game a little bit better. And it's one less way for Man City to get knocked out of the Champions League because we don't have to worry about getting knocked knocked out on the wiggles. Um, it's true. It's hard to score at the empty had. That, that, that one hurt a little bit. That that, that was uncomfortable. I think I think my thing against removing away goals is that, and not saying that it won't happen, but it does give the more deserving in air quotes team a chance to win that game. Because you lose those moments. I mean, there's been a lot of heartbreak as a Barcelona fan in the Champions League on away goals. Everybody knows that. In like the last like nine years. But um, I mean, you lose that aspect. As you were saying, like, you know, we're playing away. And, you know, if you can't perform in that game, you can't perform in that game. But it just like that magic moment where you're like, we need to step up. And it's, it's spe like specifically for me, it was the PSG game where you're oh, playing yes. away, Barcelona versus PSG, where you're playing away, mm. you win 6-1. PSG scores that one goal where you're like, 
man, there's nothing else that we can do. And those kind of moments, those kind of moments will not happen again with this kind of away goal. And that's just kind of like, because if you, I mean, the PSG Barcelona game was kind of like a toss up, but if you get rid of the away goal rule and Barcelona and Roma go to extra time, Barcelona is going to win that game. And obviously for me, that's good. But for Roma fans, it's like, well, that's, you know, <laughs> that's our, that's I mean, our it, one semifinal appearance <laughs> for the decade. Yeah. Come on. Right. And, and for me, that's like, if my team, if Barcelona shows up against Roma and can't perform for 90 minutes, you're going to lose that game. And I'm not saying the second leg should be more important than the first leg, but in a way it should be, it, you need to be able to perform at both legs. And, you know, if you can just squeak out a one nil win in the first leg, which they didn't in that game specifically, but I, th- I think, you know, where I'm trying to go with this. Like it, yeah. if, if you can't win that game, you can't win that game. And I think it gives the underdogs a better opportunity to prove themselves in that moment, which it has time and time and time again. And it just, it doesn't give them as much of an opportunity. If you can perform in that moment and you can still beat that team, but the other team beat you at home four nil and you beat them at your place four nil. I mean, you're going to extra time and you're probably going to lose. <laughs> I will say though, I mean, they're smaller than they have been in the past, but as far as underdogs go this time, um, Benfica certainly got played off the pitch by Ajax, but still managed to squeak mm-hmm. it out. Villarreal actually outplayed Juventus, but that's still an upset. There's no way Juventus should be losing that. So at least we still got a few. They aren't like the monumental ones that we get some years, but could still happen. For all I know, Benfica comes out and just blasts Liverpool off the park. I have a 1% chance on that, but it could happen. I would <laughs> we'll love to wait and see. So much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving on to the next topic. We had some pretty big news coming out of the Premier League slash um, Bundesliga the last couple of weeks with reports are Man City have an agreement with Holland and Dortmund for um, Holland to come over to Man City over the summer. What impact do you guys think that's going to have on the Premier League? And just how do you think it's going to affect world football in general? Yeah, I mean, it's over. Man City is winning everything. <laughs> the next, like, five years are just in shambles. That's... <laughs> if he stays healthy, I think it has it has a massive impact on the league. Um, with a coach like Pep, I think it's a great move for Holland, to be fair. Um, to adjust to a league like that, that does have very different play styles. You do need a coach that is that much of a, you know, player-centric and also has changed players' play styles in the past, which he might have to adjust slightly. Um, but I think he has the physicality. He has all the footballing talent, certainly. He's got the personality for it, too. I mean, he's he's going to be a fan favorite no matter where he goes. He's, yeah. he's a lovable guy. So I think a move to the Prem is great for him. Uh, it boosts Man City a lot. The only caveat is if he can stay healthy. Um, I'm not majorly concerned yet, but after this last year, I do have some small worries if he picks up one that knocks him enough to where he can't a hundred percent recover, but that's my only concern. Other than that, this is a fantastic move. The only thing I would be worried about is how much does this continue to snowball the whole issue of player wages and mm-hmm. financial fair play, not actually existing in the sport. Um, but we'll deal with that in a few years when you have to pay 500 million to get a player, but that's, that's for the future. That's not for next year. Um, I mean, I 100% agree, and especially it feels like this last year. I mean, Holland has never had a problem with scoring goals, playing his game, and even when he comes back from injury, every time he's just like right back where he left off. He scores one or two goals that game. He's looking phenomenal. He's great. But it seems like, and this is my this is my worry for him right now. Over this last year, he missed the Euros. Because of injury, he missed the Champions League because of injury. He was not there to perform in the biggest moments of this season. And he's been there for the entire time during the league. Or, I mean, not the entire time during the league, but he's been there for mostly just the league. He hasn't been there to, to be that leader for the team, which Dortmund needs him to be that leader for that team right now. Um, yeah. But if, if they can figure something out to keep him good and keep him on a good schedule and play in the most important games, which I know Pep will, 
and perform for them. I mean, that's, I, I don't specifically know how Holland is going to fare with the play style of Bundesliga versus Premier League. I mean, he's young, he's adaptable, he's got the finishing prowess, he's clinical, he knows how to, you know, play a good defensive, offensive attacking player. Um, I don't know how Pep is going to perform him and conform him to the squad, but I know he can figure it out. And if he does figure it out real well, I mean, it's just going to be, it's going to be, they're going to be the team to be beat in general. It doesn't matter where you're playing. It's going to be the hardest team to play against if they can get everything situated and figure out how to push their attack through Holland. I mean, it's, I think that's I, a I game think it's changer. A, I think it's a matter of when and not if. I mean, we look at every young player that the Pep has kind of molded into the player that he wants them to be. It may take a year, you know, the, this next, this next season with Holland, he may not be as great as everyone thinks that he'll be, but going into the year after that, Oh my God, he's going to be amazing. And I think pairing him with um, Julian Alvarez is going to be fantastic. I don't mm. know if they might rotate them. You know, Alvarez might get some games just to give Halan some rest, but I think he can develop into another world-class striker. I think they'll both be good enough where we might go away from our 4-3-3 that you know, Pep has pretty much been married to. And I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised if they bring back the two-striker system. Because I would, I would love to see Alvarez and Holland next to each other, playing, you know, the, a two striker setup. I, I think it's going to be amazing. I think, I think that we'll, works especially we'll be... well with two young strikers. I like that mm-hmm. with two young players. Yeah, I, I think that the league will pretty much be a wrap, <laughs> pretty much every every year. I, I I'm sorry, <laughs> but I, I I don't I don't see any Premier League team being able to stop an attack with you know Holland, Alvarez. Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden, like the list goes on and on. I mean, you've even got, you know, Riyad Mahrez, who's having the best year of his career right now. He's outstanding. Yeah. I, I think this is a move not just to win the Premier League every year. This is to try to win the Champions League or get to the final every single season. And I think if um, Haaland plays up to what we know he could be, yeah, I, I think we'll be the favorite in the Champions League every year. Yeah, and I mean, even when I try to be like really nitpicky or pessimistic and find a way to where, well, maybe for this reason he can't adapt, I can't find it because the players that can't adapt to the Premier League, they are missing something that all of a sudden ends up being important. I think Holland won't have to fix anything. He'll just have to reach because he has great physicality. He has great pace he has great footballing iq be it hold up play be it making runs he can score with his left foot he can score with his right foot <laughs> put it up in the air i'll score a header there's, if you give him a nothing. free kick he just might score <laughs> well no he, he won't <laughs> score those <laughs> but i yeah i think all it's going to take is some slight retooling of focus as opposed to you have to try and develop an entire new skill like uh hitting the target for timo Werner, but Okay. And that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just unnecessary at this point. Is what it is. It's just unnecessary. Yeah, I take it back. Um, I mean, it's it's going to be a real problem. I, I mean, I'm, I, I, I'm at a loss for words for it. I mean, it just for me in my mind, it just makes every logistical sense for that signing to be what they make, and I think it really shores up a lot of the issues they've been having and they don't really have that many issues. I mean, there's a few games here and there where it's like, well, if they had a world-class striker, this game's theirs, but they didn't. So it's the opposition's game. And I mean, he's just going to shore those up for him as long as he performs. Like, like you said, as we know, he can. Um, I mean, the next couple of years are looking, looking real Man City dominated. If, if that transfer goes through. Um, yeah, Manchester's looking pretty blue. Yeah. It, but, I mean, we can't rule out – I mean, we kind of – in my mind, I can almost rule out Real Madrid unless they can figure out a way to replace – because, obviously, there's all these talks about pretty much Mbappe is secured to Madrid at this point. And mm-hmm. unless they can figure out a way to shore up their midfield, get their defense absolutely airtight, 
it, it's it's a problem solving problem that doesn't help in the long run for Real Madrid. And I want to say that Mbappe is the perfect fit for them, but they've got a lot of issues on a lot of areas of the pitch. They're a world class team, but right now they're a world class team because as we talked about before earlier in the podcast, Modric is playing out of his mind. Bruce is playing out of his mind. Benzema is playing out of his mind. You bring in Mbappe, these players are getting old. And I just don't think it makes the impact on Madrid as Halan does to Man City in long-term dominance right Agreed. now. Because yeah. why, why bring in two young attackers to Madrid? You've already got Vinicius and Rodrigo who are developing quite well by now. So you bring in Mbappe, you've got a good young core up front. You bring in Halan, you can't play all four. You're going to lose one. Your midfield is in an old folks home in about two years, and then what? So, yeah, I think bring in Mbappe and then focus on shoring up the defense in the midfield is smarter. But are they going to go the Man United route and just sign whatever's going to sell the most jerseys? That's the question. I, I think that's more likely to happen. All, I fear all, these it. Teams, all these teams care about is just selling jerseys and making money off shirt sales. So, that's my only concern. You can't tell me. That Man United was like, you know what's going to sell a lot of jerseys? Some Brazilian kid named Fred. And then... Well, hold on. Now. <laughs> we're, we're not going to get rid of him. And we're going to play him every game. <laughs> well, they don't have any other midfielders. They're going to play one Mata? Don't make well, they're going to buy Declan Mata Rice for 150 <laughs> freaking million, apparently. Well, yeah, because he's English and he's going to sell so many shirts. So they're just going to wait. Instead of shoring it up with uh, Zakaria in January, they're going to wait until the summer. That's what we talked about. They're, all they care about is shirt sales. But that's a whole separate topic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's a problem. It's, it's, Man City is going to be a huge problem. Do you guys want to problem. see something? As, 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 a, as a Man City fan, we were talking about this, and I got really excited and uh, drew up a potential uh, lineup for next year. So I got... You know, I'm, I'm just going to share my screen because I'm looking at this and I'm just in awe. So you got Holland and Alvarez and then Foden, KDB. I'm keeping Bernardo Silva. It, he's, he might be gone, but I'm hoping that he stays. You got Rodri, Cancelo, uh, Walker, Stones, Diaz, and Ederson. I mean, just good luck. Good luck. <laughs> for, Are I, you telling me? That Chelsea's four center backs who are leaving this year aren't going to be able to stop Holland. I refuse <laughs> to believe it. Rudiger's gone. Probably going to go to Man gone. City. Christensen's gone. We got nothing, and we're still going to stop. Uh, it's over, buddy. It's over. <laughs> it's 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 over. Well, do but, you um, think that Holland's going to be as impactful as Pierre Emerick Aubameyang has been at Barcelona? Oh, oh, that, wow, that, that, you know what? That was a fantastic transition. I wow. I Barcelona has been on some some Barcelona. Xavi <laughs> Ball. They'll Xavi Ball being Barcelona. They and. I, the thing is, I'm hesitant to say, and I feel like the saying Barca's back should never be uttered again because Barcelona will never be, you know, maybe they will be Barcelona at some point again. But right now, Barcelona is a, a world-class team. They're not a world beater. They're, our, they're a world-class team. And Xavi Ball has proven that they can be still that world-class team. The transfers have been absolutely phenomenal. We took some players that I thought were like, eh? And they've really done just phenomenal for Barcelona. They Javi has played them really well. He's and I wouldn't say you're he's developed him really Torres, well. By the way, <laughs> yeah, thank <laughs> you're, you. You're he's been really good. For us. He's 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 a great great. But kid. The, but that's the thing is every signing we have made. And I don't know if this is on Xavi's position or if this is somebody else on Xavi's team, but ever since Xavi came in, these players that we've brought in have been players that have been kind of on the outs, have had the skill before, and he's brought them back to their form where they used to be. And I'm not going to even say Ron Torres has had good forms before, but he's, I don't think he's played as well as he has at Barcelona. Um, Adama Traore has had good forms. He's been a good player, but he's not played as well as he has at Barcelona right now. Aubameyang has had great runs of, and obviously he fell out with Arsenal and right. And as, 
pretty much was just abysmal at Arsenal the last couple of months with his career at Arsenal. He comes to Barcelona is just immediately right back where he used to be. And I am loving what I am seeing from this Barcelona side. I think that we could be continue to be a world-class team. I think we're showing that we can be the team that can be feared in some aspects. I don't think that this team specifically could be a world beater team. That's just my viewpoint on it. I don't think we're going to be the team that's feared throughout every competition in Europe, feared in the league every year. I think we're going to be putting up a fight against some of the biggest clubs, but I think we still lose some of those matchups. But right now, the way things are transitioning and how quick everything kind of turned around for us, if we keep that run of form, I, I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to say that we don't do really well in the Champions League next year, but I think it's looking really good. Yeah, and I think the most important aspect of it is getting the best out of players again, which I'm <laughs> just because the only thing that's changed is Xavi, I'm going to give him the lion's share of the credit here. We all knew Obama Young. I mean, he was Bundesliga top scorer, Premier League top scorer. I think that was only about four, three, four years ago that he was the Premier League top scorer. Granted, yeah. he had Uzel giving Molly assists, but still, that's still a huge achievement and then fell off a cliff. Xavi brings him right back to where he used to be. And then you look at um, Gavi, Pedri, Torres. This is the coach you want to develop these. This is obviously as a player had ridiculously high IQ, focused on the fundamentals, did everything clinically perfect. So if he can instill that into the youngsters, the future looks bright. But to your point of maybe not world beaters, I was looking at the Europa League and I mean, Barca is one of the favorites, but do I think that hands down they're going to, destroy Leipzig, Atalanta, West Ham. I'm I'm still a little tentative there. So that just goes to show they're on the right track and they're very good. But yeah, if I can't if I can't choose them over all those teams without any hesitation, they're not quite there yet. Yeah. I mean, I got really nothing else to add. I, I think they're a team that is again definitely on the right track. I think they're two, three years away from really competing for a Champions League where, like we're used to seeing Barcelona compete, but Honestly, I don't think they need to do much in the summer transfer window. I think they have enough young talent where they just need to develop them, give them more time, and let them grow into the game, and let you know, just let them let them grow. I think they're going to be fine. Um, I don't really see any glaring holes that they need to fill with the transfer. Well, eventually they're going to have to replace a fifty-year-old PK, but I think he's got a, <laughs> he's got a year or two left in the tank. I think. I, I, I think they, they'd rather just roll out the, the skeleton of, of PK rather than try to replace him. <laughs> no, I don't, I mean, he's, he's an icon. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, I mean and there, there's a lot of teams that have issues with this, not wanting to let go of some of the players that were there for the golden years. But, I mean, you're, you're talking about Sergio Busquets, who has one of the most appearances for Barcelona in the history of the club. You're talking about PK, who has one some of the most appearances and some of the most defining moments in the history of the club as a center back. And they're just, they're just getting old. They're not playing as well as they used to, especially Sergio Busquets, who has been just phenomenal over the years. It's just been, just been lacking. And we've shored up the attacking. We've brought the, the, the buildup play back. Um, but if we don't address those kinds of situations, that's really going to want to, that's That's what's going to stunt us from becoming the team that could be feared as a world. And I have a lot of fears and especially in the defensive side of things that that's not something that we're going to do. I will say though, unlike other Barcelona teams in the past, I do think that you guys have the guys that are young enough that can replace the older veterans that are probably going to be leaving the team within a year or two. I mean, you look at, you got young defenders like Eric Garcia that you guys got from Man City. Mm. I think he could step in. He's a player that's shown a lot of potential when he was with Man City. He just couldn't get into the starting 11 because, I mean, no no offense to him, but the players that we had were quite a bit better. And I think he's a, a player that can really help solidify that defense going forward. But you guys have young players that can, can kind of fill the void. I don't think it's going to be a complete drop-off. I'm not saying it's going to be a complete drop-off, but my main problem is, and especially with the center back role, we've had a lot of issues with just 
allowing a rotation. And I think Xavi's going to do good with that, but it's, it's always just mm-hmm. been PK, 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 Sergio, Sergio, Sergio. Like there's never been, Hey, let me just give this guy a chance. Unless these two players are injured. There hasn't been, especially under Coleman and Lewis. Uh, I can't even Kike Sentien. Uh, no, no, no. I was, I was going for Kike Sentien. Um, but there those coaches just were not, they weren't giving us the rotation and there's still not a lot of rotation. Granted, Zabi's only been there a little bit and in the defensive line, he's been comfortable with it. But for me, PK has been really iffy in a lot of big games and and still under Zabi. I mean, they've done well these past, I mean, they are in a great run of form right now, but I think we need to start implementing that rotation getting these young players into it instead of just being like, okay, PK's had really bad four or five games we've lost. And now let's just throw them in there to the system because I haven't really seen that yet. And that's what kind of worries well, me. And I think what that will take is Xavi finishes out this season strong and then he gets full buy-in from the board, full buy-in from the president, and then he can start rotating next season. Being very optimistic, yeah. I think that's what what he needs just to prove to them, all right, I did it your way and I was great. Now let me do a little bit of my tweaks. And if that happens, then we're looking at a great rebuild. That pretty much wraps up everything I had planned for this episode. Um, as always, want to thank you guys for, for joining me and talking some football. Of course. It's a pleasure to be yeah. on. Absolutely. Oh. And USA just started, so... Yeah, yeah, good, good timing. I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to go watch that game and try to stay up and not fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) But all right. Yeah, thank you guys. And as always, we are Deep Dive Sports. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of On The Pitch. Make sure to follow On The Pitch Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. Catch you in the next one.